All right, Psalm 50, Psalm 50. And for those of you who are here, uh, last week we did Psalm 51. It was very pertinent and timely. And so we're going to do Psalm 50 and hopefully 52 this morning. We'll see what happens. And again, if you're new or visiting, what we do is we go through the scriptures verse by verse. And there's a topic in every single chapter of the Bible, so it's not a problem finding topics. And so we go verse by verse. So, Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. Father, we thank you again for this morning, and we just continue in our worship. Worship is not just singing, it's a life. And so, Father, we, we worshiped you in communion, we worshiped you with our, our financial gifts, and now we come to worship you with our ears, with our minds, to surrender our, our thoughts to you and to your word for these brief moments in eternity that we might become more like Jesus. That's why we're here. We don't need a pep talk. We need relevant truth that we might beat the old man down into submission via your word, by your Holy Spirit. For it's not within us to do those things. But as we surrender to your Holy Spirit, even as we need to right now, by surrendering to your word, you will teach us truths And then you will also give us more of the Holy Spirit to fulfill those truths. So, Father, we just thank you for that simple principle. And that's what we do even right now. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you'll be glorified through these verses this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Asaph was one of King David's worship leaders. and And he covers two different aspects of religion in this psalm. Two different aspects. He expresses the religious person... One who comes to church out of duty, and then the hypocrite, one who comes to church to appear righteous while living in sin. And both are obviously wrong and should be repented of. You see, true believers worship God out of a sincere desire to grow in their relationship with Him. And so I hope, I, I know most of you by, by face, I know a lot of your names. I, I really believe that most of you are here because of this. You want to grow. But if you're new or visiting and you're coming here out of religious obligation, it's not going to do you any good. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus to get to heaven. And as you develop that and as you receive Jesus as your Savior, as I'll, I'll say a prayer at the end, you can then start working on that relationship. See, I had a relationship with the church growing up. And if I, if I left that church, then I lost my salvation. I lost that love of God. And once I received Jesus as my Savior, even within that church, I came to realize that that's not true. It's not scriptural. But that the church, and so many churches, some even under the banner of Christianity, will take and twist the scriptures so that you'll submit to them and to their ideals instead of just going to the Bible and fulfill the Bible's ideals. So even this morning, I know most of you are here, but if you're new or visiting, I encourage you, make sure you have a relationship with Jesus, with God via Jesus first and foremost. And for those of you who are visiting just for the holidays and go back to your your, your own church, wherever that might be, I challenge you for the rest of this year to grow, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, Psalm 50, verse 1. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. God will shine forth. 
Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be a tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Here Asaph is inspired to speak of a future date that is now not very far away. You see, the Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus, is coming back and he will execute righteousness and execute righteous judgment, which in the scriptures, judgment is often referenced by fire, from Zion, specifically from Jerusalem. You see, the Messiah knows all things. I have a, a slide here, Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That's a fact. Sometimes we don't agree with him or maybe like that. But as we grow in our maturing process, we come to realize, well, that's the best. Dad knows best. So let's put it in the hands of dad. How about John chapter 5? John chapter 5. And let's learn something about Jesus this morning. John chapter 5, verses 18 through 23. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Now, when you see that phrase, the Jews, uh, we went over this in the gospel, but if you weren't with us, it's specifically speaking of the religious elite of the day. This isn't necessarily speaking of the common person. This is speaking of the one who had the scriptures, who knew the scriptures, who studied the scriptures. And you'll see why as we read through this, but it's very important to see that. Therefore, those who were, knew the word of God, the religious elite, sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. Now, for those of you who have cults come and knock on your door, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Islam, any of the religions that deny the deity of Jesus Christ, and they say to you very confidently as they puff out their chest, well, the scriptures don't say anywhere that Jesus is God. Uh, you can just, can I have your Bible? You have King James Bible, right? Yeah, can I have that, please? This way they can't get away. You grab their Bible, and you open up to John chapter 5, verse 18. And you ask them, can you interpret this for me? Just, just interpret this for me. What are the religious elite trying to do here? They want to kill Jesus. Why? For blasphemy. Not because he said, I'm a great prophet. No, I'm a really good teacher. No, I, I've got this all together. I'm just a really good human being. They wouldn't have done that. No, it's because you, you think you're God. Yeah, that's blasphemy. We're going to stone you. We're going to kill you. So, you know, don't listen to the lies of the cults. But know your Bible but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. I don't know how you could mistranslate that. That's pretty black and white. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Notice the relationship. Notice the interaction here. Jesus is not denying that he is the son of God. Matter of fact, he's affirming it with these religious elite who didn't want to hear it. Even at his trial, Caiaphas says, just tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. Just tell us if you're the Son of God. Well, he's been telling them they didn't want to hear it then, and they didn't want to hear it at the trial because they had their own agenda as religious people. 
The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the father does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to Joseph Smith. That all should honor Joseph Smith just as they honored the father. It's not in your Bible. But in their teaching, Joseph Smith is going to be standing next to Jesus judging. It's nowhere found in the Bible. That all should honor the son as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son. This cannot be any clearer. You bring Jesus down to an angel, Jehovah Witnesses. You bring Jesus down to a God of many gods, Mormonism. You bring Jesus down to a prophet, Islam. You bring Jesus down to a, a co-mediary with Mary, Roman Catholicism. Not bashing religion, you just have to be able to talk maturely about it. Because there's billions of people that are misled by the religious elite, thinking they're going to heaven because they blow themselves up. We know they're not. They need Jesus. And we need to be honest and lovingly truthful with them. And so this is, I mean, it's totally clear here. Even the son gives life to whom he will, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. That all should honor the son just as they honor the father. So when someone says to you, we worship the same God, just let them know, no, we don't. You do not honor Jesus the way Christians do. The way Bible-believing, you got to emphasize this, Bible-believing Christians do. Because there's a lot of people out there that throw the Christian name around. Matter of fact, Mormons are starting to throw their, oh, we're Christian too. No, you're not. I let them know. No, you're not. You're not. You might be a good person, but you're not Christian. Because a Christian is a Christ follower. And if you follow Christ, you're going to honor Christ by letting him know you are God. Not a God, but you are God. So don't be afraid to lovingly tell them the truth that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So when people say, well, we believe in the same God. No, we don't because you don't honor Jesus the way we honor Jesus. So don't even tell me about the father because you don't know either one. You're a child of the devil, as Jesus said in the gospels. Your father's not Abraham. Your father's the devil. Whoa. You see, every person will be declared righteous of the Lord as saint shines forth the glory of God during the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. Those six verses there. Verses 7 through 15 in Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. Notice the duty here, the duty. It was the duty of the Jew to go to the temple and offer sacrifice. It was their duty to cover their sins. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the field is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. What does your sacrifices mean to me? They're all mine. I know them all. Even Jesus says that every one of them has a name. 
and that not one of them falls to the ground without my father's approval. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving. You see, that's the key, even this morning, of Calvary Chapelites. Offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Knowing that you've been saved by grace through faith. Not by coming to Calvary Chapel. Not by reading so many verses or giving money or saying so many prayers. But only, only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now we should have fruit of salvation. That's We should have that. But make sure that you're not trying to get fruit for salvation. Even after you're saved, Christians will get in that mode. We had to work that out of our lives, being raised in a very works-orientated religion. It took us several years to work that out of our lives. We had to debug the program and realize, no, I can't do anything for my salvation. It's free. It's a gift. No, I'm just going to serve you because you love me first. I'm just going to have fruit of salvation. So if you're doing that yourself, don't be embarrassed. That's just reality. But you got to get out of that mode. And make sure that you're serving out of a love relationship, not out of a guilt relationship. Call upon me. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You see, God here pleads with the religious person. What can a person give to God? He spoke everything into being. What does a person have that God could possibly benefit from? You know, absolutely nothing. You know, there's that story of a guy who died and, and he took gold with him. Gold bars. And he comes to Peter at the gate. Peter's always at the gate. But Peter's at the gate and he says, I'm here and look what I've got. And he's holding these gold bars. And Peter looks down and goes, wow, asphalt. Okay. If you read your Bible, gold. Heaven is gold. And we're going to take asphalt to heaven. It doesn't work, guys. Matter of fact, everything that we have been given to us has been given to us by God. You have a slide here, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, we have to do our part. And I know sometimes Christians can, sometimes business owners don't like hiring Christians because they're lazy. We have to do our part. And so we have to use those gifts that God has given to us to earn and to work and take care of things. But if God has blessed you monetarily, it's not your bright wits that got you there. I mean, God used that. You want to acknowledge that it was God who gave that to you. And he gave it to you specifically for a reason, and you need to find out what that reason is. And it's not just when you were young, it's also when you're retired. Guy, why, why did you give me this? Or maybe you've been blessed with a lot of talent and you can make things. Maybe you've been blessed with that. Whatever you've been blessed with, God gets given that to you for a purpose. And it's not for selfish motives. It's to provide for your family, praise God, provide for the church, absolutely. But it's also to provide for his kingdom over and above those things. And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. Think about that. Meditate on that. that. That's a pretty deep statement. Why are you bragging about yourself? Who gave it to you? 
God did. Then why are you bragging about yourself? Uh, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't. Right, you shouldn't. Just use your gift. And if God, and if somebody blesses you, you know, thanks for doing that. Just say, well, thanks. You know, just give God the praise. Give God the aura, the glory. You see, as we know, it's not about what we possess that's important. It's about how we use those possessions that's important. Because God desires a heart of thanksgiving. A heart that will call upon Him and not trust in uncertain riches. 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich, and I believe this is all of us in this room, in this present age, not to be haughty. Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. You know, the Dow did what? 25,000 this past week. Legalized gambling. Wow, it went over 25,000. This is phenomenal. What a heyday. It can dip in one day. It can be wiped out in a week. So none of us should trust. There, there's the key word there. Nor to trust. Nothing wrong with having it. Just don't trust in it. In uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You see, when we focus on God and his deliverance, he will receive all the glory. Notice that in verse 15. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You see, when we when we do it ourselves, when we say, no, I did this, instead of saying God did that, who's getting the glory? You are. I am. Instead of realizing, you know, Lord, thank you for giving me the strength to do what I just did this day. That, that's Many times that's my prayer. I can look back at the day and just go, man, how, how did that happen? Thank you, God, for giving me the strength. Just give him the glory for it. Give him the praise. You see, our possessions mean nothing, for they'll be sold when we die, or maybe given away, or maybe thrown in the trash. There's no glory in them. You know, how many people hang on to them as if they would produce some type of glory? How about what, what is glory in our own deeds? Someone might praise you, but how soon our deeds will be forgotten and replaced by someone else's deeds. You see, it's all about relationship. As the church at Ephesus found out when they were rebuked by Jesus in the book of Revelation. You see, when you read that, Jesus had good things to say about the church at Ephesus. They had many, many good works. As you read that in Revelation, many good works. But the thing that he mentioned against them is probably the hardest to admit to by those who are religious and by those who are even Christian. Revelation 2.4 says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you. Jesus speaking to the Christians in Ephesus. He lists the many good works that they were doing. But he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Those things that you did out of a love relationship have now just become a religious obligation just like all the other religions of the world. Guys, we we got to be careful in 2018 that our spiritual habits of reading and praying and good works, etc. should never replace a heart of adoration or what we would call worship. If they do, the following verses will apply directly to us in verses 16 through 21 of Psalm 50. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. Notice that. And slander your own mother's son. 
These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. You see, God now addresses the hypocrite. God's former silence, and this is very important for all of us. God's former silence in a person's life is never a form of consent. You know, sometimes when we're doing sin, Jim, you want to throw up that slide? Sometimes when we're doing sin and we're not getting chastened of the Lord, we just kind of think, well, God must be okay with this because nothing's happening. Hmm. Rather, we need to repent because God has a having a form of loving patience, long-suffering, mercy, and grace. That's what it's all about. And be very careful that God's former silence in your life or current silence is never a form of consent. Be very careful. Verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. So Jesus, or the, the Holy Spirit through Asaph puts it on the line to the religious person and to also the hypocrite. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright. When you get right with God, when you forsake those fleshly things, I will show the salvation of God. It's a call to repentance. Let's look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, 23 and 24. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Isn't that amazing? That God is actually seeking after us? God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus wasn't just talking about music here. He was talking about life and lifestyles. Let's look at Luke 18 and see an example of this. Luke 18, 9 through 13. See, two people... And it's quite obvious as we read the story who they are. Luke eighteen nine. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, for you and me, we might not appreciate that. But in this parable, Jesus just gave the two extremes of their whole society. The Pharisee was the cream of the crop of society. The tax collector was the lowest of society. And so Jesus gives these two extremes. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I can envision Jesus, as he's telling his parable, looking up and raising his hand and saying, God, I'm so thankful. Or as this tax collector. I bet his voice and the tone of his voice changed. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
13, and the tax collector standing afar off. Notice the emphasis there. Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knew what he was and he knew what he needed. Grace and mercy and forgiveness. And in our study last week, we noticed a man who sinned greatly but was forgiven because he repented of his sin. And as we look through the scriptures, we can find that same pattern. God is always willing to forgive. God is always willing to pardon. You see, it's not up to God. It's up to the individual if they will receive forgiveness through repentance. If you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, Jesus made this perfectly clear. In John fourteen six, no one comes to the Father except through me. God will not send you to hell. You're choosing to go there yourself. Because none of us would be here today as Christians if we had not received Jesus as our Savior. And then as we grew in our Christian faith, we came to realize, wow, I repented back on that day. I didn't even know what that word meant, but that's what I did. So I want to share that for you. You might not even understand what I'm saying, but let me make this perfectly clear. Repent means to turn. In other words, you're turning from yourself, and I'm going to get to heaven on my own good works, and you're turning to God saying, no, I can't get to heaven. I need Jesus. And again, at the end of the service, I encourage you to do that if you don't know Jesus. Because God sends no one to hell, ever. We choose to go there on our own. So make a wise choice. Again, it's not up to God. It's up to the individual if they receive forgiveness through repentance. Well, let's look at Psalm 52. Psalm 52. You know, this is a very sad story behind this psalm. And you will find the whole story, which I encourage you to read this week, in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. You see, David was running from an unwarranted persecution of King Saul. And he came to the town of Nob, specifically to Ahimelech the priest. And David didn't have any food with him, so he requested that Ahimelech some bread to eat, and there was none except the consecrated bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. Ahimelech gave his bread to David, as well as a sword of Goliath. Now, a servant of King Saul's, Doeg by name, the Edomite, that's a descendant of Esau, was there when all this took place, and he ended up accusing the priest before King Saul of helping David instead of turning David in. This infuriated King Saul, and so he had the priests and those who were with him killed, murdered, 85 in total. You see, this this grieved David tremendously as he felt that he was the one who brought these innocent priests to their deaths. So this psalm may have been written with Doeg in mind, but most likely as we read it, I think you're going to see it was written about most likely King Saul. King Saul. Psalm 52, to the chief musician, a contemplation of David when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Verse 1, why do you boast an evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. King Saul was intent on killing David and would not stop at anything. And this was just the beginning of King Saul's pursuit. David most likely is in his late teens, early 20s, when this is taking place. 
And King Saul wanted to send a message that anyone who would help David would end up like these priests. This is the very beginning of the chase. The message was perfectly clear to outsiders, but it was also a billboard of King Saul's personal hatred for his son-in-law, David. David was King Saul's son-in-law. David did not deserve those types of feelings, nor did the innocent people deserve to die. Hatred. Hatred can cause tremendous evil to come into a person's life. And as we look at this psalm, that's what it's all about. Hatred. King Saul hated David. I'm going to pursue you and kill you. And Doag hated the priest so much that he was the one that actually killed all 85 of them. It's so important to forgive others as soon as the Holy Spirit brings it to mind because hatred will develop into other ungodly characteristics that should not even be mentioned among believers. Be very careful of unforgiveness. Verse 2, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. David puts it right out there. This person is bent on evil, and David goes even so far as to say that this person loves evil. The results of this person's actions are a pretty good indication that David was right. And even as I, I'm teaching here, a, a, a name pops into my mind of one individual that I know for certain that this would fit. He came into the church, he deceived people within the church. He ended up doing prison time. He got out of prison. He came right back to Christians because Christians are gullible. Did it again. Went to prison again. He's out again. And he's doing the exact same thing. So you might think, well, who would love evil? Who would love evil? There are people that love evil. And so be very careful. Go Take everything back to the scriptures. They might sound real nice and look real pretty on the outside, but they're promoting evil. Verse 4, you love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. You see, the king had absolute authority, and so his words were considered beneficial to the kingdom, if not to others, at least to himself. He spoke evil against the priest, not being able to verify the charges that were laid upon them. And as you read the story, you'll see that King Saul's faithful soldiers, King Saul first turned to his own soldiers and said, fall upon the priest and kill them. And they all said, no. You just disobeyed the king. That could be your own death sentence. But you see, they knew the truth. They knew the truth. And so King Saul turned to Doeg and said, you fall upon the priest. And he did. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Because of that evil, which was just the start of it as far as King Saul was concerned, God would remove him from the throne and from this earth. David knew that and he rested in that fact. The righteous also shall see and fear and laugh at him saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted, again notice here, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness and this is still common today certain people trust in their wealth their possessions or their influence instead of trusting in god 
You know, as Jesus said in John's gospel, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, this is what David is expressing here. King Saul had moved so far away from God that he was willing to murder others in order to protect his kingdom. How far would we go as a Christian in order to maybe protect our job or protect our reputation or protect our family? How far will we go down? How far will we stoop? Because we can look at this and go, well, this doesn't, it's not applicable to me. It's very applicable. Very applicable. How far can we go before we wake up and say, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. As we've already read in so many Psalms, just put it in the hands of the Lord. Vengeance is yours, God. You take care of the situation, God. It's not for me, it's for you. If Saul would have done that, this all would have been avoided. But he didn't. He took matters into his own hands. Not that any of us do that today. But in case you might find yourself doing that, think twice before you do it. Verses 8 and 9. But I am like the green olive tree in the house of God. So David now thinks about the temple of the Lord. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints... I will wait on your name, for it is good. David here gives a commentary, a little commentary on himself. And notice that he pictures himself as a green olive tree. And a green olive tree would obviously be taking in water. And the house of God is where the word was being taught. So David's desire was to seek after the will of God as he wanted to mature by dwelling in the temple of the Lord. So that's David. Unfortunately, King Saul had turned his life away from the temple and turned his eyes upon his own fleshly desires. Now, again, as we apply this, don't think of it as the temple is like this building. Because the scriptures say, your body is the temple of the living God. And as you read the scriptures, what we do to our body is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. And we will also suffer consequences for such. We'll get to a few verses here. See, again, so this applies to us, myself included. Unfortunately, King Saul had turned his life away from the temple. For you and me today, that would be we have turned ourselves away as Christians from the word of God. And now we try to justify a sin. We try to justify a position because I'm a Christian. And, and you know this verse right here, it doesn't, it doesn't say what it really says. What that really means was, well, that was really back in the year 2000. I mean, in 60 AD, it really was not applicable. We're, you know, we're in 2018 now, you know. Oh, well, I guess the word of God changes. Now the word of God says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So what was sin then is sin now. And so we have to acknowledge that and repent of that possible sin that might be drying us up. Because Saul was a dry and brown tree, a biddle tree. David eventually rose to become king of Israel while King Saul died in battle because of his own poor choices. For us Christians today, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. A few verses out of Galatians says it best. Galatians chapter 5. Paul writing to Christians, to believers in the area of Galatia. I say then, walk in the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Not in your spirit. Not what you think is right. Well, I just, I just feel, I just have this feeling that's probably a bad burrito or you ate too much pizza or something. 
Get over your feelings and get back into the word of God. Walk in the spirit. You shall not, notice that, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I bet I could ask every Bible-believing Christian in this room, is that true? And you'd be able to say yes, and you'd be able to probably give me an instant in your life where that you found that to be true. The word of God is true. It's relevant for you young people. It's relevant. So, you know, so many people are trying to say, well, the Bible's not relevant. It's very relevant. It's very relevant. It's kind of like for you young people when your parents used to tell you, like we used to tell our kids, there's two things that happen in life. You influence others or others influence you. So be real careful who you hang around. When you're in junior high, high school here, be very careful who you hang around with because you're going to be influenced. And hopefully you'll influence them for Christ. But oftentimes, due to peer pressure and not wanting to look uncool, we go along with the flow. We go along with the crowd. For, verse 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit. There's a war going on. Which one are you going to feed? Which one am I going to feed? Am I going to feed the spirit through reading the word of God in 2018? Again, young people and, and all, all, all the saints here, no matter what your age is, are you reading your Bibles on a regular basis? Because if you're not reading your Bibles on a regular basis, you're not feeding the Spirit. That's how you feed the Spirit. That's one way of feeding the Spirit. Having a personal prayer time is feeding the Spirit. The music that you listen to is feeding the Spirit. The shows that you and I watch is feeding the Spirit. The people that we hang around is feeding the Spirit. The hobbies that I have could be feeding the Spirit. But you can also take all those things I listed and put them to the flesh. I can feed the flesh, feed the flesh, feed the flesh. Because there's a battle going on. Which way should I go? Should I, should I go on the highway of the spirit or the highway of the flesh? For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's why when we're doing some things, you feel that conviction and that, that pull. And, and we go, what's going on? That's the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's, that's really cool that that's there. If it's not there, you might want to ask yourself, uh, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I, I've quenched the spirit because I know I'm doing what I'm doing is wrong. And I just I don't feel any remorse. I don't feel any conviction. I, I, don't, I don't I don't feel sorry. That's not healthy. That's not spiritually healthy. And it's also not scripturally correct. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. How often has we have we said I wish I wouldn't have done that. I'm sure we could all say that. I wish I hadn't done that. And then when you look back and you, you realize why you did it, it was because of those various things that I mentioned. Your eyes weren't on God. My eyes weren't on God. I've, I fed the flesh. And so what do I do? I reap of the flesh. So I shouldn't be surprised. You and I should not be surprised. So the exhortation this morning for you and I David was feeding the spirit. Saul was feeding the flesh. Continue in 2018 to feed the spirit that we might be used more than we ever have before. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we even thank you that you didn't give us a book and tell us to go out and I hope you can do it. No, your son said, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to send the paraclete, the helper. He will never leave you nor forsake you and he will lead you into all truth. He will empower you 
Father, there's so many scriptures in the New Testament of, of how the Holy Spirit empowers us and strengthens us. So even right now, Father, as we have this first Sunday in 2018, we just ask for more of your Holy Spirit. That you would be glorified, Lord, in and through our lives via your Holy Spirit. Father, that we would find ourselves growing more in 2018 than we ever have in our whole lives. Whether we're 17 or whether we're 70. That we would just find ourselves growing more than we ever have. Because we're in your word. We're praying. We're, we're going back to that first love. That love relationship. Father, we thank you and praise you that if we have been away, we can come back right now. And if there's anyone in this room, you've been away, I'm going to, share, I'm going to pray a short prayer. If you need to come back, you come back right now. You just come back right now in the privacy of your own heart and repeat this prayer after me. God, Father, I need to repent. I need to be right with you once again. I say I'm sorry. Sorry that I elevated whatever it is above you. Father, I desire you to be number one once again right now. I confess I need more of your Holy Spirit right now. And I receive it. In Jesus' name. And as the saints are praying, maybe you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with God via Jesus. You've played church. You think you're a good person. The Bible says no one's good, no, not one. You need a Savior. And so if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And if you, in sincerity, pray this simple prayer, God will receive you as his son and as his daughter. And there are people around you who love you and are praying for you right now. And they're just that, that small example of God's love because God's love is way bigger than we are. So if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, just pray this prayer after me. God, I need a Savior. I think I'm good, but I'm not perfect. And so I realize that I'm not going to heaven. Because Jesus, even as we celebrated in communion, was the only perfect human being that ever lived. So God, I, I repent and I ask Jesus to be my Savior right now. God, I invite your Holy Spirit into my life right now. That he might lead me through your Bible into a right life right with you 
and right with others. And God, I thank you that I can now call you Father, my Father. And that you literally see me right now as your son, as your daughter. I don't understand that, but I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just thank you and praise you. If if anyone did pray that prayer that the angels are rejoicing and that person's name is written in the Lamb's book of God. Father, we thank you for this morning. As we go out into our mission field this week, Lord, use us for your glory. If we need to reprioritize, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, give us strength to reprioritize. That you, Father, even as we read this morning, that you will be glorified in and through our lives. For it is certainly not about us. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you all stand and give God a closing praise. If you need prayer, please come up. Someone else will pray for you. I'm going to go in the back. But we have prayer. We have people that will pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Sure.